do that. Said that a couple times this week in my uh, preparation. Kept turning to Ephesians rather than Exodus. So Exodus chapter 2 this morning. And let's look, Lord, in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you today for the privilege we have of coming together in this place. We thank you, Father God, for uh, mothers and fathers who uh, have raised us and have sought, Father God, to uh, be godly examples to us. We do pray that, Father, you bless today as we take some time to look at your word and to study together that we might from it glean something for each of us, whether we be parents, grandparents, or whether we be children. We pray that, Father, today you administer our hearts through your word. You challenge us by its truth. You encourage us, Father God, by its example. And we pray that, Lord, we'd exalt your holy name. Lord, I pray that you take me and you just use me to your glory today. And pray that, Father, that our time together would bring glory to your name. Speak to us now, we pray through your word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you study the word of God and you study particularly the Old Testament, one of the men that stand out as being a great man in many ways is Moses. Uh, here is this man who leads his, uh, Israel out of Egypt, leads them through the Red Sea, leads them through the wilderness for 40 years. There is no doubt that Moses is a great man. But you know, Moses was only a man. And we need to remember that about the character and the word of God. There's nothing unique about Moses as far as his uh, physical being is concerned. He was a man. And you know, while many things contribute to making Moses the man that he turns out to be, the godly leader he is, one of the things that made him the man that it, what he was is by no doubt his parents Today is Mother's Day. I thought it would be good to take time to look at Moses' parents. As I thought about this week and prayed about it, this was the people that were laid on my heart, and I thought it would be good to look at Moses' parents and see what we can learn from them with regard to being uh, uh, people that God would want us to be that would aid our children, our grandchildren, indeed the next generation, to be all that God wants them to be. Moses was born in difficult times. Go back with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 1, so we might get the background for this. Exodus chapter 1, and commencing in verse 7, we read this. The children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. And there arose up a new king in Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also with their enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, uh, Python and Ramesses. And the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in water and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. And all their service wherein they made them serve was, made, was, was, was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was 
uh, Sipar, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you do this office of the midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the stools, if there be a son, ye shall kill him. But if he be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And then verse 22, And Pharaoh charged all the people, saying, Every son that is born ye should cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. You know, this is difficult times. Pharaoh is seeking to have these children put to death. The uh, religion of the Hebrews in Egypt was corrupted. And it was in danger of being lost. There were exceptions, of course, to this truth. The parents of Moses being one of those exceptions. They bear witness to the fact that some were godly amongst this godless generation. And you know, today as we think about it, the raising of children is a difficult task. And as the years go by, if the Lord tarries, it's not going to get any easier to raise children but no matter how difficult it is today, it's probably not yet as difficult as it was in Moses' day. After all, they were in bondage, and Pharaoh wanted to kill all the male children in Israel. And yet in the midst of this time of crisis, Moses' parents, with God's help, managed to raise a son for God's glory. And of course, that son being Moses' And the truth is, even in this wicked generation in which we live, it is possible to raise godly children to the glory of God. And here in Exodus, we find three ingredients that made Moses' parents succeed in bringing up three godly children. Because when you know Moses wasn't the only child, there was Aaron, and there was Miriam, and there was Moses. Firstly, they had a steadfast faith in God, a steadfast faith in God. Chapter 2, verse 1. And there went out a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi, who was conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flax by the river's bank. Little is told us of Moses' parents, but what we do know about them is rich, and we're going to go to the book of Hebrews shortly and look at what Hebrews says about Moses' parents. In chapter 6 and verse 20 of Exodus, we're told the name of his parents. In chapter 6 and verse 20 of Exodus, we read, And Amram took him Jochebed. And so we have Amram and Jochebed, his father's sister, wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses and so on. So Amron and Jochebed were his parents' names. We know that they were raised in an environment that was virtually opposed to God. There was a very little godliness in Egypt, even in amongst the Israelites at this time. You read uh, uh, some of the prophets uh, later on in the book. You read the book of Ezekiel and so on. You read about the condition of the name Jeremiah. You read about the condition of, what, of the people uh, there was not a lot of godliness in the nation of Israel. In fact, after 400 years of captivity, the nation was now steeped in idolatry. And this was an evil time for Israel 
in Egypt, a difficult time for them, because a king as arose, a pharaoh was raised up who knew not Joseph. And you remember all those years ago, Joseph had been led by God into Egypt to take care of the nation of Israel during a massive famine. But now there is a king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. And now we find that the nation of Israel is steeped in idolatry and a king that opposes them. And the edict goes out from Pharaoh to the midwives that if uh, when they are there and the Israelites are giving birth to their children, if it be a son, then kill him, according to verse 16. And this hung over the heads of the nation, hung over the heads of these parents. It hung over the heads of Moses' parents, Amram and Jogabed. They had over them this very fear that their male children were to be put to death as they were born at this time. One commenter made this observation, the blessing is that God takes care of those who are needed for his work even in evil times. And this is clearly seen in uh, the protection and the deliverance of Moses. God had a plan for Moses, and no matter what the king of Egypt decreed, God was going to see to it that his servant Moses was indeed alive to be able to execute his commission and lead Israel out of Egypt. We're told his appearance was a goodly appearance in verse 2, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, he was a goodly child. She hid him three months. They saw something special in Moses. As they looked at this baby, they identified him as special. I suspect that God uh, uh, revealed to them something about him. But the word goodly simply means beautiful. And he was beautiful in the eyes of his mother. And, of course, this same child is the one that brought tears to the eyes of Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. Stephen expresses it this way in Acts chapter 7 and verse 20. He says, he, he was exceeding fair and beautiful. His beauty appealed to his mother. His beauty is what caused them to see him as a goodly child and then moved them to hide him for three months. A Hebrew writer said this of Moses, his beautiful form recommended him this engaged the affections of his parents to him and who from hence might promise themselves that he would be a very eminent and useful person could his life be preserved. So therefore she hid him three months in her bedchamber. I mean, think about it. The birth of Moses must have caused excitement in the home of Amram and Jochebed because the birth of a child always brings joy, doesn't it? It must have been a joyous time. You know, babies are usually welcomed with joy and excitement, and you would think that in this home uh, there would be some joy and excitement about the birth of Moses. But consider this. In the case of Moses, when he was born, there would also have been fear and sorrow and maybe even some grievous concerns because the king had threatened to put them all to death. Somebody said this, for this divine gift becomes a trial through the wickedness of man. 
The truth is, sin always turns blessing into curses and joy into sorrow. And there is sorrow in this home. And it's in these difficult times when many turned away from God that Moses and his parents did not turn away from the Lord and they trusted him in the midst of this circumstance. It's their faith in God that helps them to bring up Aaron and Miriam and Moses to the glory of God. You know, the parents of Moses did not do what they did only because of the natural maternal instinct. It wasn't just because he was a beautiful-looking boy and therefore they thought he shouldn't die. They did it because of their faith in God. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, please. Hebrews chapter 11. We know this is the faith chapter. It's the list of the heroes of the faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, we read about Moses' parents. It says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They saw that he was a proper child and because of that they hid him at the time of his birth. They had faith in God. They trusted the Lord. There was something about Moses when he was born that identified him to them as being somebody special, somebody chosen by the Lord. And because of that, they placed their trust in God and they hid Moses for three months. You know, and if we're going to bring our children up God's way, we're going to see our children and our grandchildren grow up to love the Lord in difficult world in which we live, then we must have a steadfast faith. We must have a faith in God that Moses' parents had, that Amron and Jochebed had. There must be faith to believe. Look at Proverbs 22 and verse 28, please. Proverbs 22 and verse 28. We're told here, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. We need to make sure we maintain a steadfast faith. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, please. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We're to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. We're to have a steadfast faith. And we all know the word steadfast means without wavering without leaving the truth. We're to have a faith that is is steadfast. You and I are to know what we believe and know why we believe it, and we're to stand upon the word of God and its truth and not waver. When raising our children and and being a witness to our grandchildren, we need to make sure that we have a faith that stands, that we're passing on to the next generation a confidence in God that we're passing on them the faith which was delivered unto us, that they're learning the principles of God's word, they're learning the doctrines of God's word, they're learning the practice of God's word, they're learning to trust God, to identify uh, that God is someone who can be trusted and depended upon. They see us pray and they see the answers to those prayers. 
and that little by little we build them up in the faith from when they're tiny right through to their uh, adult years that we're helping them to learn to have faith in God and that starts with you and I having a steadfast faith. You know, mankind today is tearing down the strongholds. Even in uh, Australia, this beloved country of ours, uh, the very truths of God's word have been undermined almost daily. The word of God and its truth is under siege. We live in a world where that which is right is cloaked as wrong and that which is wrong is looked as right. We live in a, a really bizarre time in history. A time whereby we know the Lord is coming and we wonder how much longer, but if the Lord tarries, it's not going to get any better, folks. The rapture is the next event on the Lord's calendar and leading up to that, we're told in Timothy that we live in perilous times and things are going to get worse, not better. And those of us who are grandparents and those of you who are parents and you're raising children, it's a difficult time in which we live, but God is faithful. If we will be steadfast in the faith and stand upon the word of God, God can help our children survive difficult times. Moses did. He lived in one of the most corrupt and evil nations around. He lived at the time of the pharaohs in Egypt. He survived. Joseph survived in the same place. Daniel survived in Babylon and Medo-Persia. And our children can be protected by God if you and I will have a steadfast faith. We need to have faith in God believing that God will protect our children. To chain up our children, we must have faith in God. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abandon the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We're to be steadfast, unmovable. Believing the promise of God is made to us as parents. And if you read through the, the Bible and you read through the Psalms you find, and Proverbs, you find this promise after promise after promise that God has made to parents who will, godly follow, uh, who will follow God and become godly parents and will have a steadfast faith. God has promised after promise after promise for you and I that he will keep with regards to our children. You know, Sunday school and Awana and proteins and even Christian schools can help in this area. But at the end of the day, these institutions, as good as they may be, are no substitute for godly parents. We as parents must train up our children in the way they should go. We as parents must teach our children how to live godly in an ungodly world. We as parents must set the example of godliness for them. Moses grew up the way he did, not by chance, but because his parents by faith taught him at home. And he grew up in the faith. It's up to us to do the work, to have faith in God, do his will. And that starts with you and I having an unwavering stand on the word of God, a steadfast faith. But secondly, they had a godly courage to stand. 
a godly courage to stand. Verse 2 of Exodus 2, And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, there was a goodly child. She hid him three months. In regard to that, Hebrews 11, 23 says, at the end of the verse it says, They were not afraid of the king's commandment. They had courage to stand. Now, obviously, they had a lot to be afraid of. Verse 22 of the previous chapter of Exodus, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born, ye shall cast the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. All of his people, all the Egyptians were told to identify Jewish babies, and if they found a male child, to throw him in the river. They had a lot to be afraid of. Moses and uh, Moses' parents, Amra and Jochebed, had a lot to fear. Moses could have been found at any moment and cast in the Nile at any time. And yet we're told in verse 2 that she hid him for three months. That's nearly 100 days. Have you ever thought about that? She managed to hide her son for 100 days without being identified. I mean, babies cry. Babies make noises. This is a remarkable statement that somehow she managed to hide her child for three months, 100 days, and there was no Egyptian who knew about it. Would you get the impression that God was doing a miracle here, protecting this child? But you know, it takes courage and it takes faith to keep a baby quiet for 100 days. That's not easy. It takes courage and it takes faith to hide your child for three months. I don't know what tension they were going through, but I suspect it was three months. It was pretty tough. A child could be found at any time and cast into the Nile. Because they believed the child was given of God, it was a goodly child. Or as Hebrews puts it, remember Hebrews gives a different light on this, it says that he was a proper child. They had courage to stand and protect him to the honor of God. Now, we're not told this, but I suspect they must have prayed as they put their own lives at risk to save him. And they must have prayed for him. I mean, they don't find their name in the Hebrews in the hall of faith if these people were not people who genuinely believed in God and therefore prayed. They willingly put their faith into action and courageously did the right thing. And I suspect they were in communion with God through this whole time as they considered what was going to happen to their child, knowing it was a proper, goodly child, that this was somebody special. And we need to remember that children are a heritage from the Lord, Psalm 127, verse 3. They're God's gift to us. They're special. They're God's heritage. They're God's special entrustment to you and I as parents. And if our children grow up God's way, then we need some courage 
to take a stand and do right by them and for them. You know, we, sometimes we need to, to make decisions that they don't particularly like in order to help them to do the right thing and know what's right. Sometimes we need to take a stand against the world and against this unrighteousness that may not be popular uh, to, to their friends and may not be popular with our children, but it's important we do that in order to help them to be godly. We need to have a courage to stand, a godly courage to stand. You know, someone has said, a man is likely to fall for error if he's afraid to stand for the truth. We need to be willing, we need to be courageous in our faith, folks, to stand for that which is right. You know, if we fail as parents to take a stand for truth, and fail as parents to take a stand sufficiently to teach our children the truth, the truth is our children may well go astray. Now, don't get me wrong. I know it's also possible that when we have a godly, steadfast faith and a godly courage that it's also possible for children still to go astray because they have an individual will. So I'm not saying that, you know, if a family is godly and they have a child that goes astray, that it's all the family's fault they obviously didn't do a good job what i'm simply saying is that you know you and i need to make sure we do all we can to help them so that when they're old enough to make up their own mind that they know right from wrong they know what is truth and then when they make their decisions they have to make it in the face of that which they know is right if they go the wrong way they rebel against the truth because we've actually taught them all the truth and we've done all that we can to ensure that they live godly lives. We've done all that we can that they've come to a place of saving faith in Jesus Christ. That we've done everything we can to help them to have a godly life beyond their time in our homes. We need to do what we can to help them. It means that you and I need to discipline them God's way, even though we're told it's wrong. It means rewarding that which is right, even if the right we reward is mocked by the world. It means making God's word the standard by which we judge. And our children are shown God's truth in all matters. The truth is God's word flies in the face of the world. And you and I will have to endure some strong opposition to our faith, our stand of faith. But if our children survive this world, evil world, then you and I must have the courage to stand. You and I must have the courage to train them in God's word, to train them in God's way. You know, God blesses godly courage. And therefore, as parents, we need to stand fast. For if we do one day, our children will thank us. Not only do they have a steadfast faith and a godly courage, but they also had a godly strategy to succeed. A godly strategy to succeed. Look in verse 3. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, 
and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. She laid it in the flax by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. Verse 3 tells us that the time came where she could hide him no longer. The child is getting bigger now. Moses is three months of age and it's getting more difficult to hide him. It was time to act. And they devise a unique strategy. His parents, in consultation with God, worked this plan out. For I'm sure they prayed about it. And they followed God's plan with regard to this. In a literal sense, Moses' mother did exactly... Oh, I've skipped a bit. Let me go back a bit here. You know... Moses' parents here were, were uh, concerned about what to do with this child that's growing up. And the, the fear of what's going to happen as he starts to get a bit older. And so they have this unique plan where they carefully, carefully turn the means of death into the means of salvation. You know, it's a wonderful picture of the cross, isn't it? You know, the cross was a means of death. But by the means of death, Christ went to the cross and died for you and I, and it became the glorious means of salvation. The cross is the means of our salvation because Christ died for us. You and I can be saved. The place of death became the place of victory. The place of death became the means of salvation. The place of death became the means of our redemption. The place of death became the means of our justification. The place of death became the means of our sins being washed away. Great picture here to preach a great salvation message right here if you wanted to from this very thing because, you know, they skillfully turned the means of death, the Nile River, into a place of salvation. In a literal sense, you know, Moses' parents did exactly what Pharaoh said they were to do. They took their son and put him in the river, in the Nile. Isn't that what he said in verse 22 of chapter 1? He says, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born shall be cast to the river, and every daughter shall be made alive. alive." Well, they took their son, they put him in the river, just as Pharaoh had said. Look, I don't think this is some unique plan of two parents sitting down and working this out. To me, you can see the divine hand over all of this, can't you? No wonder God calls them people of faith. You can see the handprint of God over all of this. And you can see the irony, can't you? you know, Pharaoh said they're all going to die. And God said, okay, we'll just use that means of death to save the one who's actually going to deliver Israel from Egypt. And so they put him in a, uh, a bulrushes and put, him, uh, uh, and put him in the bulrushes. <coughs> Excuse me. His mother took care to put him in a waterproof basket and strategically floated him in the river. And here we have a great example of trusting the child's welfare and future to God alone. You know, when Moses' mother let go of that little ark made of bulrushes, she was giving something up precious to her. This was her son. 
And as she pushed that little boat out into the Nile, she really didn't know what was going to happen next. But as she lets that little boat go, she's trusting that God would take care of her son. Trusting that perhaps God may find a way to give her child back to her. You know, as parents, we too must entrust their children to the Lord. Especially as they get older, that God will protect them, that God will lead them, that all that instruction when they were young, as we taught them from the Word of God, as we prayed with them, as we identified God's providences and identified God's promises and identified God's answer to prayer, as they have learned that while they were young, that as they start to make up their own minds and take their own choices, we need to pray that God would then allow them to follow those principles and that they would be moved to follow those principles, that God would protect them and that God would lead them in righteousness. Now, the strategy on the behalf of Moses' parents seemed to be, you know, the soldiers will never look for a baby in the river because you're going to find lots of them in the river. And it seems like maybe they knew that Pharaoh's daughter had a habit of going to the river. Because in verse 4 we read, And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flax, she sent her, to, her maid to fetch it. Now whether or not they knew about Pharaoh's daughter going down to the river to bathe, and they suspected maybe that she might find Moses in the ark, Whatever the plan is here, and all the details were not told, we know basics what happened. We do know this, that whatever it was, it worked. Because in verse 6 it says, And when she opened, uh, up, uh, it opened it up, uh, sorry, when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. In God's providence, Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby Moses in the ark. And then she hires Moses' own mother to take care of him. You know, they'd placed Miriam in verse 4 to watch what would happen. Now in verse 7, she offered a solution. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? Coincidence? that Miriam just happened to be standing by the river when Pharaoh's daughter just happened to turn up and Pharaoh's daughter just happened to find the ark and Pharaoh's daughter just happened to open it up and Moses just happened to cry and she just happened to be moved to compassion towards him and Miriam then just happened to suggest that maybe it would be a good idea to get a Hebrew woman to nurse this Hebrew baby. I don't think so. Too many coincidences here for this to be all chance. This is God's divine working in Moses' life, even at a young age. I think his parents were so in tune with God and the will of God. This happened exactly according to God's plan. You know, verse 8 is almost humorous. 
So Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. You know, they had planned ahead by God's grace, and their strategy and their plan is now working, and Moses' mother, Jochebed, gets to take care of her son under the protection of Pharaoh. Not only does Moses' mother get to raise her own child, she gets paid for it. Look at verse, <laughs> verse 9. And the daughter of Pharaoh said unto her, Take the child and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. I mean, isn't God wonderful? You know, God has given them a goodly child, a, a child that uh, God's going to use to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. It's going to take, uh, you know, some years before that takes place, 80 years before Moses gets back there to lead them out. But, you know, God's got a plan. And God's working this plan out so much so that, you know, Moses' mother would have happily taken care of her child for free. But she gets paid wages to take care of her own child. You know, what an amazing thing. Isn't God wonderful? You know, when parents do what God's commanded us to do, God does some wonderful things to help us in raising our children. And God gladly rewarded the faith of Moses' parents, both as they trusted him and as Moses' mother hid him for three months and then as she set him out on the river, now they can bring up Moses and the things of the Lord in safety. They can let Moses run around in the yard. They can let Moses be seen in public. They can let Moses be out there in the streets under the protection of Pharaoh. You know, if our children are grow up godly, then we need to have a godly strategy. We need a godly plan. We need to decide from God's word what they can and cannot do and implement it. It's no good just hoping that they will grow up godly. We need to work at it. You know, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't happen by chance. We have to work at it. It's no good saying I'll send them to the Sunday school and youth club and hope they will teach them enough to keep them focused on the will of God. That won't make them what they ought to be. It will help them, but it's not what will make them what they ought to be. It takes work from you and I as parents. I mean, after all, God gave that responsibility to us. Look in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses that I'm sure we all know well. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou, uh, they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which 
He swear unto thy fathers Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest on, houses full of all good things which thou fillest on, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and old trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them. When you sit down at the meal table, talk of the Lord. When thou standest up, talk of the Lord. When you're walking out in nature, talk of the Lord. When thou liest down, talk of the Lord. When they go to bed at night, tell them about the Lord. Pray with them. Take time with your children. Have a plan. It won't just happen. We need to settle in our hearts what we want them to do and not do and stand by it. We need to have a strategy. We need to have a plan for family devotions, a plan for prayer, a plan to take time and, uh, with them and uh, take opportunity to teach them about the wonders of God. And there are so many teaching opportunities. You know, the Word of God doesn't talk particularly about a formal time where we sit the child down every day and we teach them doctrine. What God's Word instructs us is that our lives ought to be a walking, breathing testimony of the glory and the goodness of God. And that as you and I take our children around, we show them the wonders in the heavens in a starry night. We show them the wonders of creation. We reveal to them the goodness of God. We talk to them about what we're praying about. And when God answers the prayer, we show them the answer to prayer, that they see all around them that God is good, that God is great, to see the majesty and the glory of God in everything that we do and everything we say so that they become immersed in the goodness of God. And you and I need to decide Things like the kind of music they listen to, how much TV they get to watch, the kinds of friends they have, the place they go, when they should do their homework, what chores they should do around the house. But most importantly, we need to teach them about God. He's the one that we need to reveal to them. We cannot leave our children, no matter how old they are, to make up their own minds without putting in some, some direction into their lives. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And that's the reality. Children will make foolish choices and foolish decisions. Just watch them. And we as parents need to help them to make wise, godly decisions. And we need a strategy to make that happen. We must realize it's our responsibility isn't that what Ephesians 6 verse 4 says? Fathers, promote not your children wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to teach our children godly principles. We need to have a godly strategy to strive to implement it. We need to combine faith, courage, and strategy if we are to bring our children up as God plans Children are a wonderful gift from the Lord. And as parents, we have a wonderful opportunity to help them to grow up in the Lord. Let's pray 
and strive to be godly parents and godly grandparents for the sake of our children. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Moses' parents. We thank you, Father God, for the example they are to us. We pray you'd help us, Father, to be godly parents, godly grandparents. And all the young people here, Father God, who one day will be parents, help them to learn from their parents, even now while they're young, the principles and the instructions, Father God, of your word, that they might indeed be godly themselves to raise their children and grandchildren in the future to your glory. Lord, commend your word to our hearts this day, we pray. And may we live in accordance with your truth. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.